So both Tim and I are super excited for this episode because um, this is our founder that we both get to work with. Um, so Leland is the founder of mobile.dev, which um, is the first shift left mobile platform. And it really had some origins in an open source project called Nanoscope that Leland founded when he was at Uber. And we're super excited for this episode because this is an investment that both Tim and I are really excited about. We, we both were um, part of the seed round that raised earlier this year, along with some awesome angels, the head of engineering from Robinhood, ex-head of engineering at Airbnb, founders of Kong and Lightstep. And so we are super excited to have Leland on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, um, Tim and Robbie. I think both of you all were just so influential early on for mobile.dev. I think it's just really exciting to be on your podcast now. So thanks for having me. Awesome. So we are going to go way back pre-mobile.dev and, um, and really talk about Nanoscope. So when did you conceive of it? What was the initial pain point use case? And maybe just give us the time period and what was going on at Uber at the time. Yeah, absolutely. So th this was back in um, 2017 and we kind of kicked off this performance effort. We all kind of knew intuitively that, that you know, performance mattered for Uber, right? But as it turned out, it was a bigger problem than anybody had really expected. And in fact, this was costing us, you know, $100 million annually plus um, just because of the performance issues that we're seeing in their application, right? Um, so, of course, this was a, a kind of a big red flag for the company. And it was really important for the company to th then put, um, you know, their mobile platform team on this problem to go in and try to solve it, right? Now, what this started off as is kind of diving into problematic areas and trying to understand, you know, what the heck's going on uh, during startup time, for instance, and why is our, our startup so slow at, um, you know, in the application, right? Um, so we dove in with some of the industry standard toolings to investigate the problems there. But what we found out pretty immediately was that it was really difficult to under have a clear understanding of what was happening during runtime um, because of the tooling that we were using. And, the and specifically the tooling um, was giving us inaccurate results, right? So for folks who have kind of worked in performance investigation in the past, uh, any sort of sampling or profiling or, or tracing performance tool introduces a level of overhead um, as you're using the tool. So for Google, when you press record on their performance uh, tool to record a performance trace, uh, it'll actually slow down the application pretty significantly. And when you're doing a performance investigation, well, that's a huge problem, right? Um, the data you get out of it, you, you can't trust anymore because it's distorted the performance profile um, of the application, the very application you're trying to investigate. So this was actually a huge blocker for us to make much progress on performance. So I took a step back, you know, asked myself, well, hey, how can we actually get a better view of um, what's happening from a performance standpoint? It's pretty, pretty tough to find any solutions outside of building our own tool. Um, because in fact, that was the only the only way we could get visibility into these performance problems was by using um, you know what was Google is providing on Android. Right? So this is what the kind of the beginnings of the Nanoscope idea was. Hey, can we build a better tool that gives us more accurate and more precise data um, in terms of what's happening performance-wise in our application? Yeah, and that's that's really super interesting place because you want to actually get the most accurate performance data, right? Um, mm -hmm. And most people do various strategies and various toolings, but if I understand correctly, it's a fork of Android, right? That you actually did, you know? So it's right. not definitely not like a small tool, a small library. And tell us why you actually need to fork the whole Android. And there's 
definitely trade-offs. So the way that I typically think about problems is I, I, I think about, okay, what is the, what is the main blocker here? Why, what is the root cause of our, our problem? So our problem was that the, the data we were getting out of traditional tooling was not accurate. Well, can we imagine a tool that gives us the most accurate data, right? Can we solve this once and for all, right? That's kind of what I asked myself. And the way you do that is you actually, yeah, it has to be a fork of the Android operating system because anything else would have built on top of tooling that had fundamentally was implemented in a way that introduced uh, performance overhead, which is what we were trying to avoid, right? So the only way that I could see um, us solving this problem was to fork the Android operating system and put our own instrumentation in there. So what this involved was forking the runtime, putting in our, our own instrumentation into the interpreter, customizing the compiler to output the machine code that's required to collect the information that we needed to reconstruct a performance trace after the fact, right? So yes, kind of a heavy handed solution it seems like, but in fact, this is the only way that we could implement a, you know, the most accurate uh, method tracing tool that exists today for Android. And talk a bit about the open source aspect of it. So you have this project that's essentially solving a problem that you have internally at Uber and a lot of project owners that we talk to, there'll be a goal around building community and growing the open source project. And it doesn't seem like that was the main goal for Nanoscope, but talk to us about any thoughts you had around building the community around it. I think you're right. That wasn't um, necessarily a, a main goal there. But what I did realize was this was something that so many other folks would benefit from that it would be just such a shame and, and just kind of, it felt kind of selfish if we weren't op to op open source this because I knew and had been talking to so many of our kind of peer companies and they were all running into this similar problem. So I felt like, you know, we had a responsibility to actually open source um, this tool so that other folks can dive in and have access to the same sort of um, accuracy in performance data. Now, despite the fact that we didn't put in a ton of um, resources into actually advertising or growing the community, it actually did see a, a reasonable amount of success just because it was solving a real problem, right? So we did see you know, adoption at Airbnb, LinkedIn, um, among other uh, other places. And it, it's cool because now, now that via mobile.dev, I've had a chance to connect with a lot of other developers that I hadn't met before. Uh, it's pretty frequently I'll, I'll meet people who have actually used Nanoscope in the past that I hadn't met before. So it is, it's cool to see that as well, that um, even now there, there are folks that are still kind of using that project, despite us not putting a ton of resources into growing the community. Yeah, and so for the community, they probably saw your blog posts, I guess, as a start back in like mm -hmm. 2018, right? Because I saw you, you open source 2017, a blog post around 2018. And definitely, it seems like still, this is the one library that it has the most accurate tracing information, right? I don't think Andrew actually took your changes and, and merged it back, right? And so what are the kind of people that are attracted to this? an open source project are like every Android mobile app or, or people that really care about performance? Because I was curious, like what kind mm -hmm. of, what is the community that's getting, getting formed here? Yeah, they're, they're, you know, I think um, they're folks who have tried the traditional tooling, ran into this problem of overhead and are looking for a way to solve this, this, this problem of 
inaccurate performance data. I, I think it has to do with the business model, right? So if you, if you look at the business model of the company that they work at and ask yourselves, does performance matter to this company? Now, in, in for side projects, that sort of thing, like maybe it doesn't matter that much, or if it's just kind of like a, a hobby game or something like that, maybe it's not that big of a deal. But like, let's take an e-commerce company. If you look at a company like eBay or, you know, Robinhood, you know, these sorts of companies where there's actually a, a user funnel within their application it's really important for them to understand uh, where drop-off happens, right? And as it turns out, you know, every e-commerce company knows this, performance really matters in terms of conversion rates, right? So it's um, those folks working at companies where uh, the company can really tie top line business metrics to performance. And, and that's actually a, a lot of, uh, of e-commerce companies. And even, you know, our first customer being Reddit, right? They are not a, a company that's an e-commerce company, and yet they know that performance is so important to them uh, from the user experience standpoint, right? Um, in terms of their brand equity and you know user loyalty, right? So even a company like Reddit, that's more of a media company, it's very important for them as well. Awesome. So there's Nanoscope, and then there's Mobile.dev. Some similarities as far as problem being solved, but One's a company, one's an open source project. Walk us through any ties between them conceptually, how one kind of led to the other. So in open sourcing that project and seeing the kind of traction um, that grew organically without much, much effort on our side, it was clear that it was filling a gap in the community, right? Now, this was just a tool, right? Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a company or even really a, a concept of a company yet, but uh, what it did highlight was the tooling that we need was not being provided by Google and Apple. And I think this is just kind of a co common understanding in the mobile community today, which is we can't really wait around for Google and Apple to solve our problems anymore. We're at a point now where I think the experts and the folks who really understand end-to-end -end how mobile applications are developed oftentimes live outside of Google and Apple. And I think I, I would say that that's the case most of the time. You know, these are folks who've gone through uh, the trenches at a, at a large company who has developed a serious mobile application to understand what are the gaps in the mobile ecosystem, right? And I think um, that's what was, uh, you know, that's what I came to understand through the Nanoscope project was we have this massive opportunity to fill that gap. Um, as folks who have gone through this and really understood what the gaps are, we have the, an opportunity and a responsibility to step outside of our roles at our respective companies and say, look, let's solve this once and for all for the entire mobile community and, power, and empower all companies to deliver high quality mobile applications. It's so interesting because the open source concept for Nanoscope is really part of what validated the, the need and then opportunity to start a company. But is there any Nanoscope present in mobile.dev or is it just like now totally separate? Yeah, we've leveraged a lot of the same learnings and uh, strategies uh, uh, from Nanoscope in some of our technology at mobile.dev. Now, I wouldn't say that we're the type of company like a hash corporates open source first, but I would say that we, we have our roots in open source, right? Um, of course, in, in Nanoscope being the main one. Um, and al along the way, you know, we've already open sourced actually our first library called DADB, um, not officially released yet, but you can look for a blog post soon, uh, soon for that. Um, but this is kind of the model, model we're gonna, going to follow, which is 
along the way, as we build out, uh, build out this new category and build out this novel technology, we're going to be developing things internally that will be useful um, for the wider community, right? And those are the things that um, we, we are going to look to open source, right? Yeah, so, you know, thinking back at a time, actually that's when we met as well, when you yeah. have an open source project called Nanoscope, you know, you, you know there's a need in a market and you're fundraising as well for a company. <laughs> I think there's, there's just definitely this journey, right? Um, I think talk us through a bit where you started, right? And because you didn't start out with mobile.dev. You know, a lot of people are similar when they have an open source project, they don't want to start a company. You know, your path isn't actually just that straightforward, where just take open source, run a managed service, and you have your company, right? You there was an exploration process here. Yeah. Right. Were like, tell us like how do you start? What do you learn that process of you know? how do I even decide what my company is going to be doing? What, what are the biggest challenges you faced at that time? Yeah, I think you're, you're exactly right. Um, you know, the, the seed started with Nanoscope that pointed to a gap. And I think the first question to ask yourself is what is that gap? Like, what is it pointing to? What is the larger picture here, right? Um, and one of, the, one of the pieces was, hey, there's the performance tooling that exists in the community um, is not fulfilling the needs uh, of what companies actually need today, right? So that that was one one clear gap that that Nanoscope and and the traction and Nanoscope's traction pointed to. Um, and that's where we started. So we actually started with the name perf.dev, uh, not mobile.dev, because we were focused on performance. Now, um, I think what Tim you really helped us with um, was kind of thinking bigger, right? And thinking like, hey, well that's that's a good starting point, but does that does that imply a bigger gap in the market, even even larger than just the performance tooling side of things? Um, and indeed, it it, it did. Um, you know, and this this kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier. That I don't think you know the community has already learned. Um, I think that yes, we no longer can rely on Google and Apple to solve our problems, right? How how do we kind of take responsibility and do that ourselves, right? Step up and say, hey. Let's build the tools that we need, right? Um, and this was, I think, the larger picture um, that really made sense and really drove us to what we are now, which is mobile.dev. And it's still, you know, still very much related to how we initially started with, with performance tooling, but now expanding it to other areas of quality, right? So not just performance, but what other uh, app quality areas are there that we can solve for um, for mobile companies, right? Now. What we're doing at mobile.dev is we're building a platform to catch these problems uh, before you release, right? So this was the other insight that I had at Uber, which is, look, we built tooling across the entire development uh, workflow, right? You know, all the way from writing code, so IDE tooling, lint, lint tooling, build tooling, release tooling, production monitoring, data analysis, right? So we built tools across the whole, the whole spectrum there. Um, but the most impactful tooling that we built at Uber was tools that we could plug into CI and identify, catch and diagnose problems automatically for developers, right? So that, that, those were the tools that were the most impactful there. Now, how, extrapolating that into what can that look like for the market as a whole? Well, it's looking at what are all the areas that we can uh, catch problems for companies before you release? And not only is that performance, 
but that's areas like network analysis, binary size analysis, memory analysis, CPU analysis, storage analysis, security, right? And the list goes on. There's so many areas that we can dive into and protect companies from releasing uh, problems into production and affecting their end users, right? So that's our goal here is to catch all these problems before you release so that, that you don't uh, end up shipping an expensive bug into production. Yeah, you know, thinking back, you're just adding my own little <laughs> anecdote here. Because I think one common challenge a lot of open source founders I've seen, and I, including in this case too, right, where you have mm -hmm. an open source project, you solve a very particular problem. And when you start thinking about a company, you're really just thinking about what's, how can I use my open source projects to solve all problems? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and use that as the only story you talk about when there's, when my, like, to what extent is my company able to solve what kind of problems? If, um, yeah, and it's, it's a very common exercise. I, I, I notice have to do with a lot of different founders is to yeah. really figure out what your market really is. Right? What are all right. the problems you're really trying to solve? And, and I think in this case, you, you have so much more to offer, but yeah, it definitely took some digging to, to really even nail down what is even the right way to talk about it. Because we didn't start with shift left at all. Right? We're like, hey, what else can we solve here? What are kind of different ways we can solve this? And but it, it was yeah. it was really interesting, you know. Once we come into like, hey, this is this this is the main narrative we should focus on. I noticed, yeah, your the way you talk about your company changes quite a lot, and everybody's perception of what you're doing changes a lot, right? Yeah, just just bringing that up because I think there's, you know, this whole how do we describe our company and what we solve, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes to a lot of open source founders, it's like, oh, this is just you know, this just just marketing. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in reality, it's, it's, it's everything at the earliest days, yeah. No, it's, it's really important to find the North Star that is, is a big enough goal and, and bold enough that it makes sense to actually spend time on, go, go after as a company, right? So I, I think you're, you're totally right. It, you, know, you can open source a project, and even if you know, that open source project might become very popular, and that points to something, right? It, it points to something important, and it says, look, you're solving a need here, right? But it then I think what tends to happen, and, and you're right, this is what uh, happened to a certain extent with myself, is you kind of anchor on that project and the pro specific problem that that project is solving, right? But really, you don't want to anchor on the technology. You, you want to anchor on the problem, right? So it was about stepping back and looking at, okay, what is the problem this is solving? And is that problem part of a larger problem in the community, right? And that's that's kind of the shift that I think happened for me, which is, Sort of anchoring on the technology, anchoring on the problem, and expanding from there. Yeah, it's super interesting because we um, we talk to a lot of founders about the benefits that they get from open source, and ours is fairly unique where it was really the early problem validation more than anything else. But yeah, it was like from there, then the concept of mobile.dev is is still fairly independent. And I want to spend a few minutes talking about this concept of shifting left in mobile, because this is what got us really excited when we invested mm -hmm. the potential to really bring quality and quality controls pre-production. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I think that um, what we saw happening uh, in the mobile ecosystem was typically the way companies were addressing mobile quality was they were monitoring uh, production metrics and identifying problems after they were happening. So they would see things either slowdowns via their APMs uh, for performance uh, problems, or they would see even you know, one-star reviews on the app store. 
and try to dig into, okay, well, what's happening here? Why, why are these users unhappy? Or why are we seeing um, some regressions in our production metrics? And go back to the development team and say, hey, look, we have a problem, like we need to fix this, right? Well, one, that often had already been in production and had already been affecting users for months and months, right? So this problem has just been going on for, for a while. So they're probably likely, likely it has already been a very expensive problem for them to begin with. And they're just now finding out about it. Uh, now going back and trying to diagnose what the problem is, it's actually very difficult to uh, one, reproduce or two, root cause what the problem is given production metrics, right? Um, now there's some specific reasons why this is difficult on mobile. One being that you don't own uh, the infrastructure or the hardware that your application is running on, right? So you have limitations in terms of what kind of metrics you can collect uh, from production specifically on mobile. Um, now beyond that, let's say you are able to diagnose what the problem is and, and come up with some sort of fix to, to solve the problem. Now, you ship out that fix to your users, and it takes multiple weeks for that to get out to your users, and sometimes over a month for most of your users to adopt your latest version of your mobile application. So again, the entire time um, sacrificing your users um, and hurting your top line, right? Now, what you need to do after that fix is shipped is actually validate whether or not that's addressing the problem that you initially were seeking to, to solve, right? Um, but really what happens in reality is most of the time you chip out a fix, cross your fingers and pat yourself on the back and say, okay, well, we solved that problem, let's move on to the next. And um, you forget that that ever happened. So this is sadly kind of the, the situation that exists today. And it's clearly a broken system, right? But looking around in, in, in terms of services that are available today, aside from mobile.dev, there's nobody really addressing this problem. There aren't a whole lot of solutions that you can use to solve this, right? Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of companies popping up that are kind of mobile-focused APMs, but again, there are fundamental limitations to what an APM can do. Now, that being said, I think there will always be a spot, a space for APMs in, um, in the mobile ecosystem. There's no replacement for understanding uh, top-line business metrics, conversion metrics. These are things... Um, about understanding user behavior. And that, that's always gonna be, uh, it's always going to be necessary for APMs to be there. But in terms of managing application quality, this is where shift left comes in, right? Um, this is where we should be catching as many problems as frequently as possible and as early as possible in the development life cycle. And again, those, those quality areas being things like uh, performance, network analysis, memory analysis, security, binary size, all those areas are possible to catch pre-production, so we should be doing it. Um, right now, the concept of automated testing, it only captures uh, functional testing. What we're saying is that's actually 1% of what users care about. All of these other quality areas, right now we're doing, the, we're doing a lot of finger crossing and just shipping to production and hoping that everything goes all right. Um, what we're trying to, what we are doing is we're building a platform that allows companies to be confident in all of these areas, aside from functional testing, um, and ship with confidence and get to a point where they don't no longer have to worry about seeing one-star reviews and trying to understand, okay, why did this happen, right? Catch it before it actually gets even into your code base. That's, you know, that's what we're trying to achieve here. So I guess we'll have to ask about your product and also like how do you actually even find your first customers for your product? Because hmm. a lot of open source founders basically assume I can just go sell to people that already uses my open source project. Um, 
when it comes to fundraising. Um, so love to, what is your journey like? How do you even decide what is the actual product you'll be selling, right? Because Nanoscope, as you said, is just a library. Mm -hmm. what, did, what did you decide to build and what are kind of options you're thinking about? And how do you even know where to find your customers? Right. Well, so first off, Nanoscope is a, a, a developer tool, right? And it's something that an individual developer would benefit from uh, in terms of ad hoc investigations into performance issues. Now, you know, I, I've been kind of a platform-minded engineer uh, my whole life. So I think I always ask myself the question of like, okay, how can we automate this? Or how can we put in place a system that makes this as uh, you, that can catch problems automatically and not rely on manual investigations, right? So when applying that to Nanoscope, it was, it was clear that the solution was to build, um, build a product that allowed a company to automatically catch these sorts of problems for all developers, for all changes, right? So that is the product that we're building is, um, is a platform to allow companies to catch performance regressions and root cause them automatically, right? So uh, plugging into your CI and catching this at development time before it's uh, before these are land, bugs are landed into your code base. And how do you find your customers then? Um, did you go after all the people that forked your project on GitHub and people you met <laughs> during this time of blog post? Through um, working at Uber and talking to a lot of our peer companies, you know, I think within my network, there are a lot of other folks who were in a similar position where they were on a, a mobile platform team at one of these large companies um, and were struggling with the same problems, right? So I think just within my network, there are a lot of folks that I already knew were struggling, you know, had this issue. Um, and if maybe we didn't even discuss this uh, explicitly, but I, I just, I know that there aren't solutions out there that where they can solve this problem. So I knew that they must be running into these sorts of issues. So it's just about tapping my network, reaching out to folks who are in other similar uh, tech lead positions at, on these mobile platform teams at other large mobile companies, um, and then validating the need for this and, and asking them, hey, is this you know, is performance something your company cares about? And um, I don't think we've run into a single company who says uh, no to that question. Um, most every company that I've spoken to so far says, yes, like this is a big problem. We just don't know how to solve it. Um, we don't, there's, there are no tools available um, or services available that allow us to really solve this um, systemically. And one of the things that we've done very well compared to other developer tool companies that, um, that we've seen is not just validate that there's a pain point and an opportunity to build a, a company around it, but it's a problem that we can charge a pretty decent amount for. And I feel like we have a very strong monetization and go-to-market angle at mobile.dev. How did you think about that and maybe even frame it with um, the lens of our first customer Reddit? Like, how did we think about how to, how to charge? Like, what value driver to anchor on? Because we knew that there was demand and a need for this, but figuring out, okay, now we know there's a need, you could charge anything for it. How did you actually land on what value we would be adding and, and how to actually price? So the, the value proposition is twofold. There's operational efficiency that we're driving, and there's also driving improvement to top-line business metrics like daily active users um, and revenue ultimately, right? Um, now, we use both of these to justify our price point. Um, for the operational efficiency side of things, we talk about 
engineering hours, right? So how many engineering hours are we saving here? If you were to tackle this yourself or if you're already tackling this problem, how many hour engineering hours are you spending on uh, investigating performance issues, fixing performance issues, responding to performance outages? And th that's how that conversation goes on the operational efficiency side. Now on the business metrics side of things, when we talk about daily active users or revenue, well, it's a little bit harder to tie performance directly to that unless they already have a very good understanding of that. You know, sometimes e-commerce companies do like, you know, companies like eBay will have a very good understanding of what hundred milliseconds means to them from a monetary standpoint. Um, but for Reddit, for instance, you know, that's a, a little bit more of a gray area. You know, how much, how much is hundred milliseconds shaved off of startup time worth to Reddit? It's a little bit less clear, but what we can uh, talk about concretely is the operational efficiency. So that's kind of what we anchor on usually uh, when talking about price point, talk about engineering hours, uh, how many engineers would we would be saving with this price point. But then there's this other sort of existential discussion, which is, you know, how much does performance matter to the company, right? The, the company image, your user happiness, you know, user loyalty, you know, that sort of conversation that is also super important, but maybe a little bit harder to tie actual hard numbers to, right? So it's a combination of these two that combine to form our value proposition here. Um, and that's usually how we go about it. And the other thing we wanted to talk a bit about is, is community, because one of the benefits that open source companies have when they start thinking about monetization is they already have this community that they can tap into. I mean, for us, there might be some community that we're leveraging from Nanoscope, but for the most part, it's um, it's not. We're not typically building a community in a typical open source fashion. So, how are we thinking about tapping into the existing mobile community, or maybe even creating such being part of the one building it, and just some of our strategies there? Yeah. So, what we've done so far is uh, we've looped in Gergay Rose, and he's already had built a really strong following uh, in the mobile community. So. You know, him having worked with him at Uber, uh, we kind of tapped into his network and made sure that the content that we were publishing would be amplified kind of via his uh, social media following, right? So that was one of the big things we did. Um, and then beyond that, I think it's just publishing content that's going to be valuable for the mobile community, right? And I think we talked a little bit about this earlier, but right now we're at a point where there's actually, we're just getting to the point where we have a small group of, I think, mobile experts who have gone through the exercise of building a, a serious mobile application end-to-end, -end, right? And mobile is actually young enough where there, there aren't books and books and books of published uh, material on how this works and what are the problems that we run into. So it's publishing these learnings and communicating with the rest of the mobile community about, you know, what did we learn during our time at Uber? Um, what, what are some of the learnings that we have at mobile.dev or some of the insights that maybe um, other folks in the mobile community can learn from, right? I guess, well, the last question, you know, since this journey about mobile.dev, you know, from starting from Nanoscope, now mobile.dev, you close your first customer, you have all momentum going on. What are things you wish you've learned starting out this journey like a year or more ago, right? What are like, hey, this is, this is something, these are a few things I wish I knew what I got started. You know, Tim, it was quite a long journey to get to that point where we said, okay, this is our North Star. Like we really know what we're going after here. I think it would have been the understanding that it, it's really important to spend a ton of time thinking about that, that bolder vision, right? And to be bold about what you're going after. So that, that is, I think what I've 
biggest thing I've learned in going through the fundraising process, talking to you and Robbie and just building the company is to be bold in what you're going after because like, look, this is something you're going to dedicate um, years and years to, right? And a lot of your energy to, it's got to be something that you're passionate about that's big enough and bold enough to, to be worth it. And how about you as a leader? I know we're still early in our journey, but over the past year, you've gone from project owner at Uber to startup founder, to raising your seed, to really leading this shift left movement. A year ago, kind of looking at just who you were then and who you are now, where do you think the biggest changes have happened? I think it's early on, it was tending to focus on the technology, you know, and asking, asking myself like, okay, what can we do with this technology? Uh, what kind of problems can we solve? But now it's much more thinking in the space of the problem space and, you know, what are the problems, right? And, and what, what is the bigger picture here in terms of the gap we're trying to fill in the market, right? So it's that, that sort of thinking, it's pretty basic, I know, but that, that was a big shift for me, you know, coming from an engineering background and moving into this role of, um, you know, CEO at, at a startup, it's really more about thinking about that, that uh, bigger vision and less about the te technology, but more about product and what, you know, what problems are we solving for our customers? This is awesome because it's almost like we've got most of our board investor meeting together. <laughs> yeah. You know, shift left is such a huge potential yeah, we're, we're so excited about this to happen. No, thanks so much for having me. And I totally agree. I mean, especially in mobile, like we talked about, um, shifting left is going to be hugely important.